Sonosphere, the podcast that explores the sounds all around us in art and music movements through history. Today, we hear from Ami Dang. She is a vocalist, sitarist, composer, and producer from Baltimore. Her sound ranges from North Indian classical music, and she also brings in some noise, some ambient, electronic, some experimental stuff. It was really fun to talk with her. We sat down in a coffee shop in Baltimore a few months ago, and that's what we'll hear. We'll hear from Ami Dang right here on Sonosphere. Sure, my name is Ami Dang, and uh, I play the sitar, and I use electronics with that. And uh, I started playing sitar when I was 12. And uh, I just got into it because my mom, I I grew up um, in Maryland, near Baltimore, um, and my mom just found a teacher and just thought it was really cool, and nobody in my family is particularly musical or is a musician, so she was just always interested and like wished that she had gotten a chance to play classical music, and so she found somebody and asked if I wanted to take lessons, and I had already been into music since I was younger, so I was like, okay, Um, and I totally hated it at first, (laughs) and sort of like slowly came around, so. Did you start on the sitar? I um, I started as a when I was younger. I took piano lessons for a couple years and violin lessons for probably three years. But I was little, like six to nine or like seven to ten, that elementary school age. And I also took voice lessons on and off. Although I can't remember if I actually had taken voice lessons by the time I started sitar or not. Um, but I was definitely like into music at that point. Yeah. Like it was a thing, you know. And I. Um, through the, my, my family is Sikh or Sikh, um, and through the temple, the Gurdwara, um, I did a lot of music and learned hymns and things mm-hmm. like that. So I also like, um, just sort of, you know, through the community and through that like uh, Sunday school at the Gurdwara, learned religious music and played the harmonium a little bit along with that, which is used um, in, in those services. So Sikhism in particular, so Sikhism is its own religion, it's separate from Hinduism, separate from Islam, it's a monotheistic religion, but um, the kind of one, one thing that I think stands out to people a lot when they visit um, a Sikh Gurdwara is that the services are actually like all music, or mostly, primarily. Green Day, Oasis, <laughs> uh, you know, and like, I don't know, hip hop from that time, pop music, 90s house, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
So I always reference like the sound of the AOL modem turning on as like the first noise that I probably ever heard. <laughs> um, uh, so you know, all of these things as like an immigrant, second, you know, first generation immigrant growing up in the U.S. were sort of everything that influenced my soundscape. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I put it all together until a little later, but you know, yeah. that was the beginning. Sitar is um, uh, falls into the category of a lute, which is a stringed instrument that's primarily sort of one string is primarily played. Um, you know, you play a melody with the one string, and then you often strum the other strings like a chord. But it's not it's a, played a bit differently than a guitar traditionally, in that like guitars you're usually actively playing all of the strings and playing chords, um, whereas a sitar you're actively playing one string primarily, and then you do incorporate the other strings um, depending on the certain techniques. Yeah. a tall or long instrument. There's a gourd on one side of it and along um, the neck is a, made of a, a single piece of wood. Um, and so as far as how I incorporate it into my instrument, my, sorry, my music, um, I, I use, so for this last album, I um, decided to focus on uh, just electronics and sitar. And I usually kind of produced, I, I started by just uh, kind of thinking of them as studies or etudes or whatever, mm -hmm. something I kind of realized I never really did was just kind of experiment with a kind of more specific form where I start with some electronics and then kind of like play sitar or riff or whatever on top of it and see what happens. Um, and, I, and I was kind of interested in just like doing something a little quick and dirty, like just creating a series of these and seeing where they go. Um, and and kind of trying not to agonize too much over them, like start like starting them and finishing them more quickly. I was actually working full time at the time, and I was kind of getting really burnt out from being at a computer all the time, and also just feeling like I, I wanted longer hours to spend on music, but I didn't have that kind of time. So I wanted to just come home, do something, and and have it be something by the end of the night or the next day. So um, so I just started off with like producing some um, electronics using um, plugins, soft, soft synths um, on my computer. I use Ableton Live and some plugins um, and sort of just like map, creating some chords, mapping something out, finding some sounds I liked, and then just sitting and, and, and trying not to spend too much time on the computer, like I said, because I was trying to get away from that. Yeah. Um, but then um, sitting down with the sitar and playing over that music and um, you know and so it started off with uh, two of the songs that are on the record yeah. um, and one of them is sort of more of a really slow the sitar playing itself is really slow um, and then the, one, the other one the sitar playing is fast and, and then I just kind of went from there with that and the, the process it's interesting because the process changed a lot but I think the last song that I finished 
I was actually taking a sample of the sitar and sampling that as a synthesizer and then reproducing that um, that sample. So that you know that it was it was just a fun way to kind of take a form and, and change it over. It ended up being like a year working on these songs. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so when you're talking about like you want to just get something out, mm -hmm. did, did that sort of let you kind of just sit back and let it be I think at first, yeah. at first I kind of was like, okay, yeah, this is what it is. And I yeah. still, and I listened again maybe a week later or whatever, and I was like, oh, I still like this. And then I actually didn't, I kind of worked on the first two and then really didn't, I don't even think I worked on a third for like months, <laughs> to be honest. And then I had since actually left that job and okay. was like, okay, am I doing something with these songs? Am I not, you know? And then I was like, no, I want to do something with them, so let me see if I can kind of continue this series. But by then I was a little more, I think, in the zone of like, all right, I want to like, re like really craft these yeah. and, not, and, you know, kind of get away from the kind of quick and dirty process that I had started with. in my previous two records and I had been playing it actually was part of a I, I'm part of a duo called Raw Silk um, where I play sitar and sing and produce electronics along with another musician who plays cello uh, a friend of mine um, and we had been making music together pretty actively between the time that my second album came out and this last one Parted Plains um, so I had been playing a lot more sitar with her just us like improvising together and um, something I kind of realized and also had gotten feedback from other people about was the fact that I didn't really use a lot of sitar in the previous two albums and so I think I felt like I wanted to kind of like do it just like do justice yeah. and, and, and play more sitar really and I had been playing a lot more and kind of um, and yeah yeah improvising uh, with a friend of mine and so it kind of just came off of that. Sure. So I think originally when I first started, I wasn't really thinking about the folklore aspect. I really was just focusing, like I mentioned, on um, creating these studies or experiments. Um, probably a few months after I made the first two songs, which are actually the last two songs on the record. So at the time, I was engaged, um, and I ended up, uh, we got married a few months later. Um, and something I kind of, uh, so my, I'm married to a guy who is white and he's not sick, and that was an issue for my parents. Um, and I don't remember like kind of what order this went in, but I um, revisited a story called Sony Mahival, which is a Punjabi, um, like a kind of a, known as the Romeo and Juliet of Punjab, so this like tragic romance, yeah. you know, where Sony is this daughter of a potter, you know, her father makes pottery, and he meets this 
they meet this businessman and they fall in love and her father is like, no, you can't be with this person. I better get her married off for, you know, whatever. So his, her father arranges for her to be married to someone else. Um, and then she continues to have an affair with her lover who ends up um, moving into the property across the river from hers. And then as the story goes, she visits him night after night with, and she, um, she swims across the river to visit him with a, um, the help of a pot as like her flotation device. And she visits him, her, her husband actually, like I guess in the story, he travels for business and so he's gone all the time. And her sister-in-law starts to wonder where she goes and starts to follow her and notices that she has this, you know, she goes across the river to this guy. And so what she does is she, the sister-in-law, replaces the pot that she had been keeping like in the bushes with one that's unbaked. And so the next night she goes across the river and she drowns. You know, I mean, like in Western tradition, like we have all these paintings of Romeo and Juliet. You know, these there are these stories that invoke um, artists to create their own renditions of all of these stories over time. And so that was something I started thinking about. You know, as somebody who, especially as someone who is, I was born and raised here, but I also have like a deep connection to my ethnicity. Um, and that was something I thought that I would be, I just wanted to play with the idea of like, what would it mean for me to, as a musician, kind of do my own rendition of some of these stories. was invited to do a live score for a film called, um, an animated film, um, that called The Adventures of Prince Ahmed, um, which is a story that's based on a story from Arabian Nights or 1001 Nights, and the, but the animated film from the 1920s is by a German director, um, and so that's sort of like, you've seen it? It's a beautiful, beautiful film. So I got to choose an act and um, work on music for that, and that was really fun. And as I did, and I also started to dig into the story of um, the director's depiction of it, and thinking about what you know, why did she do what she did? Because all of these different kind of storytellers have taken their own liberties, you know, and changed yeah. things around. And so Lottie Reiniger, um, I don't really know how to say her name. I know I'm saying it wrong, <laughs> but um, it's okay. Um, you know, she, as a German filmmaker in the 20s, I'm sure, like, took certain liberties to kind of create right. the story for her audience. Right. But also, what her, 
something that I was thinking about is how her story was probably based on like a British translation of this story that we're all used to reading, these British translations from like more than 100 years ago. And so it's just something that I was thinking about, not really for better or worse, I'm not saying that nothing's bad, good or bad, it's just interesting how we, we've all experienced these like recycled and mashed up versions of stories through different depictions, you know, kind of like a big game of telephone through that experience. And then um, also at the same time reading those Punjabi stories um, was what kind of made me think I should devote all of these works um, to kind of, you know, to these different various pieces of folklore. So then three of the songs on Parted Plains are actually from the score that I worked on for Adventures in Prince Ahmed, yeah. And then the remaining ones, a couple of them, like I said, had been written before, but I kind of just decided to like more conceptually dedicate them to these Punjabi stories. Everything, I mean, everything I make is sort of a product of that, of my identity, but I, I, I mean, people have asked me too, with, with the stories too, I will say, most of it is pretty conceptual, it's pretty abstract. I didn't, the only, the, the three of the songs that I worked on that were um, for the, the Adventures of Prince Ahmed score were a little more literal, like I, wa I was like watching yeah. the, the movie, the film, and like working on a score. All the other stories I think are just more about like a mood or a feeling, capturing yeah. a theme, um, just to add to that, because I know some people were like, so which one is this story? No, yeah. like, <laughs> it's not quite that literal. <laughs> My, all the music I've studied, uh, all the sitar I've studied and Indian classical vocals were all North Indian or Hindustani classical Indian music. Um, I don't know a ton about South Indian or Carnatic music. It is, a, it is a different world. I mean, there's certainly a lot of intersection, but it, it's a different world. Yeah. yeah. You know, I grew up hearing the the sound of the drone or the thambra is the instrument that's used. And then on top of that, a lot of people don't use a real thambra anymore. They use this little box that create that's a that's an electronic thambra. It's a little box I have. I have one at home. It's like a little synthesizer itself. Um, so I grew up like playing sitar or singing along with the little box making its drone to kind of hold your root note. And then it's, yeah, it's interesting because I went on to study electronic music and, and um, composition later and then learned about drone more from a Western perspective. And I was like, oh, it's just that. Yeah. I already, like, I know what that is. Yeah. 
of people. I, I, for example, my teacher growing up was like, I never want to see you in a rock, like playing sitar in a rock club. And I was like, mm, well, <laughs> later on, you know, like, I didn't do it when I was 12, but later. Uh, um, you know, for some um, practitioners, for musicians and academics, that can just be, you know, the invention of new ragas and new study and new, um, and composition, but um, for some people like me, it's like, you know, for me, I, I choose to take the instrument and use electronics and um, kind of evolve it in this other way. And I'm, and I'm also really interested in playing with other people, collaborating with other people with the sitar. Um, yeah, I don't, I just feel like it, like music and like culture, they're just not static things. It doesn't really make any sense to me so for music to stay the same. I mean, it's like, it's a noisy city. It's, uh, you know, people like to get in your face in Baltimore, not in a bad way, in a good way. I like that. Um, I think, uh, honestly, it's cheap here. That is like, that's one of the reasons I've, like, it's not the only reason I've stayed. It's like, I love this city and I have like great friends here and I've built kind of, you know, I've built a reputation here and, and, and a life here for myself. But one of those reasons is because it's really cheap. And as a musician, like, space is, you know, really important. So it's like nice that I can have a home with a studio. Whereas, like every time I think about moving to New York, it's like uh, I don't even DC. Even, even DC. Even oh man, yeah. So I think that yeah, there's a magic kind of combination of like there's a lot. It's a weird city. It's a weird city kind of across like all sectors. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Definitely, like Baltimore, just like the the arts. For I mean, for one thing, the art scene here is really thriving, especially for such a small city. I think um, for the size, I should say, um, there's a ton of people making music, making art. It's also it tends to all be a little out of the box or a little kind of like not quite the genre that it could fit into. And I think that's influenced me a lot um, and kind of continue to encourage me to experiment, considering the experimental scene here is so um, thriving. This has been an independent production of Sonosphere, produced by Amy S. and Chris Williams. Check us out at sonospherepodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes and check us out on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.